Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. I am so happy you're spending some time with me this busy holiday season. I know that things are getting super hectic for you right now, so I appreciate that you're spending time with me today. As we enter these last chaotic weeks of the year, it might seem like your attention is being pulled in a million different directions, and it might feel like there's not enough of you to go around. So I want to remind you to take some time for yourself. Taking time to pause and take five deep breaths when you're feeling stressed or setting your timer for 60 seconds and sitting with your eyes closed at your desk. You could do that a few times a day. Walking over your lunch hour, taking a hot bath at night with the lights dimmed and relaxing music playing, turning off your electronics and just reading a book. These are all things that you can do to calm your nervous system and take just even the smallest time for yourself to recharge. I've also been thinking a lot lately about how powerful our minds are. We see things and perceive things in the way that we've been programmed to see them throughout our lifetime. And we also know that we can keep learning and changing our brains and our thoughts at any age. You are never too old to change the way you think or to learn new things, which means that we're capable of also challenging our beliefs and assigning new meanings to things that happen to us and also in the world around us. For example, who says there's one right way to celebrate the holidays? Who says that a birthday can't be celebrated for a full week or a month? Who says that a divorce has to mean that two people hate each other? Who says you need to graduate from college in just four years? Or that the way we plan our work day needs to look a certain way, that we need to sit in an office or start at 8 a.m.? Who says these things? When you start to challenge your beliefs and ask yourself why you think something has to be done or look, look a certain way, you open up a whole new world of opportunities. If you've been feeling stuck, or less productive, or feel like you need a change, start asking yourself why you're making the choices that you're making. And I'll bet you'll discover that it's a parent, a teacher, a partner, or society that has made you think one way out of habit over a number of years. And when you become aware that your thoughts were handed down to you or ingrained over time, you realize that you have the capacity to change which to me is a really powerful and empowering thought. Because if you have the capacity to change your circumstances, change your situation by just harnessing the power of your mind, that means that our potential is unlimited. Today's guest helps athletes with their mindset and limiting beliefs. I'm talking to coach Jennifer Gansner, founder of Mind to Define Coaching. Mind to Define helps competitive athletic girls take charge of their performance, break down defining moments, create personalized strategies, and level up to win at sports and in life. You can learn more about Coach Jen at mindtodefine.com. I loved this conversation because we talked about some of the big things and the little things that we often don't think about as parents of athletes and as athletes ourselves. And I'm sure that you're going to pick up some great tips that are going to either help you help your kids pursue excellence or help you take that next leap in your own athletic pursuits. So here's Coach Jen. Welcome to the show, Jen. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So you are a performance mindset coach for competitive athletes. Can you tell us Before we dig into that, a little bit about how you got to this place. How did you get started even 
thinking, oh, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I know I didn't start thinking about what I wanted to be. I think I've always thought about what I wanted to be when I grow up. I was really jealous when I was back in elementary school. You'd get parents come in and they would do their career day, right? So like mm-hmm. somebody's fireman dad would come in or a nurse or you know, something. They talk a little bit about their career, which was great. And not a single one of those things ever interested me. And I was really but I thought they were interesting, but I was like, no, that's that. I just don't know. And I was really jealous of the kids who would immediately let you know, who wants to be a fireman? They put their hands up and I'm like, hmm, how come they know? I don't know. I never knew. So I just, I found myself going on paths of, I became an achiever is what I did. So I, I never really knew. So my answer was one of like, how can I be, I'm going to be the first woman president. And by the way, I'm not going to, I don't have that interest anymore, (laughs) but that's what I said in second grade when everybody else was picking things that I thought, how do they know? Like, how do they know? And I don't think I've ever really known. So I've fallen into it. And I don't think I, it started probably when I was in my twenties, had no intention of doing it. I was pursuing a different, I was to a degree in industrial organizational psychology. I had worked some in radio. I went back to radio and was a producer. I've held different kinds of jobs, but I never really thought like this was going to be what I did. And it just has the slowly the path has led me there. And so now you have a coaching business called Mind to Define, and it's based on three key pillars. Tell us a little bit about what those pillars are that are the basis of your program. Absolutely. When I first started kind of about, it was, everybody hates you. We talk a little bit about COVID year, but that heavy COVID year when we're all at home and I knew my last child, I have four. So 15 year old boy, a 13 year old girl, a 10 year old boy and a five year old girl. As she was heading to kindergarten, I was very excited. My career was, I knew it needed to re-blossom into something, but it was never anything I wanted to do before. So I went down the path of looking into with a much nudging from kids and my own kids, players that I've coached competitively in sports. I've been a soccer coach. I've been a softball coach. I even dabble a little bit in basketball, but that's not my, not my main sport. And when I started to develop this, um, the coaching masters was the program that I went through and they're great. Um, They have coaches from all around the world and they were really big on come up with, make sure you have two or three main points. Because when it comes to performance and when it comes to mindset, you can talk about anything. And so one of the, one of the key ones that I actually changed to my first one just recently is what I call optimum ownership. I like alliteration and I like words that, that relate to one another, but what's important about optimum ownership is I find that with, um, highly competitive athletes. And I work with mainly girl athletes right now, female athletes, and those high achievers have difficulty with ownership. And I did as well. So what we find is I have a couple of players sometimes that will be like, they're not owning enough of their journey. These are players who are old enough to take care of their own water. Some of them even do their own laundry and pack your own bag. Did you get your appropriate nutrition? Okay, so maybe you are a little young yet to, I have a 10 year old, you don't cooking your own food, but you know that you need to eat before. This shouldn't be mom and dad driving this. You need to drive this. But usually it's the other side of the pendulum that I find that most of them have difficulty with is owning too much, especially in a team sport. So, you know, I have somebody that'll say they're up to plate, up to the plate with a three and two count. Tying runs on third. It's a high pressure situation, even for a 13 year old. And they'll go through a great at bat. It's just the pitcher had a great pitch. The the batter had a great swing, tipped it. And the catcher had a great catch. You're out. Game over. And what what breaks my heart is in those moments, I know, but especially if they ruminate later, it's I lost the game for my team. And we talk about how statistically, because I do have a minor in statistics, that's it. That's impossible. You can't own if you're one ninth of the field and you're one, maybe 12th of your bench, you're one twelfth of the batting order. Guess what you get to own? One twelfth. And we break that down into a percent. We talk about 
that. So optimum ownership is the first one. The second one is growth mindset. I toyed for so long with trying to call that something different. I thought just when you can't beat them, join them. But that is the term it has been around for a long time. It was Carol Dweck with her book in 2006 that really popularized it. I think mainstream that we all now, you can't find a person that doesn't at least have an idea of what growth mindset versus fixed mindset means. And I grew up in a fixed mindset era for sure. A lot of my upbringing was failure was bad. Success was good. And I really love that she took that concept of we're born with what do you call those kind of our tendencies? We're born with some gifts maybe, but we all have the ability to prove improve anything we want to with practice and work. So growth mindset's the second. And last but not least to a long-winded answer is what I call courageous confidence. I almost did courage. I almost did confidence. And I got to thinking that having confidence is believing, right? Believing in yourself, which is really hard for especially my um, really analytical players. And for myself, my dad would just say, be more confident. It's like, really? (laughs) How do you flip the switch on that one? (laughs) So confidence is one of those things where it's a little nebulous. And I thought, you know what? It's really more than just having confidence. It's having the courage to believe in yourself when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. When my little player went up to that plate, she's not so little, she's she's 14 actually now, and she goes up to the plate, she has no idea what her outcome is going to be. That pitcher is going to do her best. The catcher is going to do her best, and she's going to do her best. And we finally agreed after some tears that that was a fantastic at bat because she was the one that was up. Everybody when her team was grateful she was up. She was a great batter. She had a successful at bat. I don't know, probably made the pitcher throw at least that three, two count plus tipped off several more of them. That's a successful at bat. And she had the courage and we are going to hope we work on the confidence next time to go back up there in the same situation and believe this time it's going to be different. I think that is really huge because that that confidence applies to pretty much everyone in their lives, no matter outside of sports. How, what are some tips that you give your players for learning how to be confident? Yeah, that's, it's really hard. I mean, of the three, that's probably the one that I leave to the end because it's the one that wraps actually the other two together. You've owned every part that you can, right? So you've taken care, you've done your fitness, you've taken your swings, or you've taken your kicks, or you've practiced your move. And so you've owned it, you've got the ownership and you have, we've worked on growth mindset. We know that failures are as much a part, if not more needed part of the journey than the successes. We don't get better necessarily with the successes. We can get to a plateau, but it's the failures that push us to the next level, whether you're, cause you're mad about them or cause you're sad about them or because Next time your body adjusts, your brain-body connection, your mind-body connection adjusts and it says, okay, I kicked that wrong last time. We adjust the kick and, and now we have a successful kick, whatever that is. And that last one is so nebulous for them. And they're, it's same for me. And I really thought about how to get that through. And so we've talked about from, I would say, the biggest issue for the players that work with me. And I think they're all different girls, different sports, different ages, but they share a common thing. And that is self-talk over and over again. It is self-talk with them. And I do the same thing. So instead of saying, I'm a bad player because I made this mistake, it's, I made this mistake. What did I learn? And so I give them usually the first, I have to call this out because he's really famous and doesn't know me, but Will Smith's has a great video out there that he's in a car and I'm assuming he's not driving. He doesn't look like he's driving. He talks about failing early, failing often, failing forward. And it was the first time when I first saw that, when it came out, somebody shared it on Facebook and I was like, Hmm, that's really interesting. I hate failure. I still hate it when I fail. I don't like to fail. It's not, I don't have that emotion in the moment saying, oh my gosh, I'm just so glad I struck out. Isn't that, what a learning opportunity that is for me. Nobody thinks or feels that right in the moment, but it's what we do after. And if I can help them help themselves, because it's really them, it's not mom and dad. All day long, mom and dad can tell them they believe in them. All day long, they're coaches and they're players, but nobody is as close to their brain as their own self-talk. It doesn't matter. So if they don't believe it and we start to work on what you tell your brain, either out loud with your mouth 
or inside where nobody else gets to hear it, it hears you, it responds, and your whole being changes because of it. So that is probably one of the biggest things we work on is that self-talk. And one of the things I love that you talk about is that the mental side of the game is a whole other skill that we need to learn and practice. And I think I think that's something that especially an, an experienced coach might not even recognize. And parents who have grown up, growing up in a different era, that's something we never experienced. Nobody ever told us that there's mental skills we have to practice. So can you address that a little bit as far as like, how do you even get coaches to recognize that this is a skill that is important that we need to be working with our athletes on? That's a great question. So I will tell you, I, so far I haven't run into one coach and I have, there are some coaches that I, that know that I'm working with their players, which is great because the more we can sync I call it sinking the sidelines. The more we can sync the parent message to the, the youth athlete, the coach message to the youth athlete, which the focuses are different. We're going to do scaling and drilling on one side. And here, the parents have a really important job of sometimes I tease my kids. I'm like, I'm your bill payer and your chauffeur. Like I get them to their practices. But at the same time, let's not be, let's not ignore the fact that we set mindset in the vehicle. And if I'm not in a good place or I'm like, I've got my own drama going on. Nobody, we don't live in vacuums, right? Nobody functions in a vacuum. Coaches don't either. They have their own lives, their own spouses, their own things going on. But that as much as we can sync those messages up to the players, regardless of the strategy on the field, whether we like the formation or whether we think our kid is ready for that move or should be doing more, if we can sync the mindset piece I think that is gold for our kids to know that the same messaging comes from this side is this side. And then I get to work with them on this messaging. I get to work on what happens. I always tell them, we, we always talk to our brain, right? These are our thoughts and these are our emotions. And then we talk about actually, they're not. Your heart pumps blood. It really doesn't have any emotion, even though it's beautiful. And we all do the, the Taylor Swift heart and that's beautiful. We don't have emotions here. We might feel stuff here. We feel butterflies, we feel emotions, but it all starts here and so much in our system. So if we can work with that, as like you said, a skill, and I haven't run into a coach yet that hasn't been like, that has been like, oh, this is bunk. I don't, that's not important. They all, as far as I know, know it's important. I knew it back then when I had my own teams, I knew that the, when my player wouldn't kick the ball with her left foot because she's a righty, that had nothing to do with the fact that she dislikes her left foot. It had everything to do with the fact that she didn't believe. And it had everything, I get a little emotional when I talk about it, it had everything to do with that she didn't want to let her team down because kicking with her left, even though it was there, meant maybe I miss. And that means my, my coach is mad at me, which I wasn't. Maybe my teammates are mad at me. I don't know. Maybe they were. Not her issue. That's, that's not her issue. Maybe my parents will be disappointed in me. But my grandma and grandpa came today. They have so many things going through their brains in that, that single solitary moment. So I actually became a little Pavlovian, the thing of the Pavlov's dog. So my girls knew. We started our own club a while ago, our own soccer club. And so my team knew that if they passed up a kick on their strong foot, and I had a couple of lefties, so they knew it was their right foot. And as a coach, you can tell when they're doing it. I can't explain it, but you can tell that they knew the immediate reaction would be, and yell at them, it would just be sub. They'd come out and they would look at me and I'd say, what did we do? And they said, I should have taken it with my left or right. And it was like, great, get a drink of water. Let's reset. And what I didn't know I was doing was all mindset training. It had nothing to do with form it had nothing to do with the actual skill. It started here. And I wanted to do a pattern interrupt, again, unaware that I was doing this. And I just wanted them to go back out there. And it cost me a couple of games. <laughs> there was definitely a moment when my player, Katie, love her dearly, passed it up, didn't quite get the right hit on the left foot, but she took it. And that was the win. And then we redefined success. So to long answer again, I do give very verbose answers. I'm, I tease my girls. I'm thorough. I'm thorough. I got to be more succinct, but I'm thorough. 
And I don't have any coaches that have ever pushed back on that. What they don't have is the time. They don't have time with their 12, 13, 14, 15 players, whatever is on their roster to address mindset issues, which are different, kind of the same, but different for what would you say to a player or a parent who's sitting here listening and they're like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. I could see where this would really help me. What would be just some really basic baby steps that somebody could take to start resetting their own mindset or to start recognizing where they might have some of these mindset challenges? That's good. Another good question. I love that. I would say that if I look back to the coaching, when I started with, I've got a girl who I'm going to meet with this afternoon after school. My players mostly meet after school, of course, unless I'm sure summer's going to change some of that, but we had to talk, she's a volleyball player and we had to talk about what success meant. So when she would say, I messed up and I just would ask her, what does that look like? I don't, and I, fortunately, sometimes I get to really actually often play dumb. I'm not their current coach. I didn't, I wasn't at their game. Maybe their sport's not my sport. So I say, what do you mean that you messed up? What do you mean? What does that look like? And sometimes we'll break down that she actually did her part. And sometimes the team didn't do their part, but she didn't think she did enough to make up for it. So we have to redefine. So I call my program sometimes mind to define. And I laugh that I should maybe have called it mind to redefine because what does success mean? Does success mean you win? Well, yeah, that's a really good measure of success. I ask my kids all the time. They, How'd you guys win? Right. One first thing, did you guys win if I wasn't at the game? But if they lost, now I'm finding that I'm starting to ask them, what did we learn? Where were the successes? Because there were, just like there are mistakes in every game, there's always also not mistakes in every game. So what did you get? And if you had failures in the game or you didn't as a team come out, you dominated the game, but maybe you lost the game. Why was that? And what did we learn from that? Oh, we actually were in the other team's end the whole time, mom, but we just, we couldn't finish. We had tons of corner kicks and we couldn't finish. (laughs) Great. That's what your coach needs because guess what you're probably going to work on next practice. If I was your coach, it would be corner kicks. So it's the information of defining success. Kids I find too, and I've done the same thing. They generalize as well. We all generalize, right? Especially the ones who are super hard on themselves. So for example, I might, if I have a bad talk with somebody or I have, I'll give you a good, here's another good example. I'll give you a better example. A friend of mine knows that I want to come back and I want to play old lady indoor soccer. And I'm stressing this because I'm past the years of trying to play college players. Again, I turned 48 in two weeks. Oh no, next week. That's sooner than I thought next week. And we're going to go play and we're going to be our competitive selves. We're never going to not be competitive. If my you know, sister was out there, I'd be trying to beat her too. We're going to go out there and do our best, but I have a different definition of success for me now. I'm 48. I'm not 28. I'm not 18. And my definition of success might be, I just want to have to take three out the next day. Maybe my definition of success is I haven't done a soccer move in over five years other than coaching kids and not against a peer player of mine who are, by the way, I will mind you, all really good women soccer players. They're the bomb. And so I'm going to redefine, if my definition of success is I've got to get a hat trick, I'm not going to come away feeling good about myself. So we have to define and redefine with them over and over again. And so hopefully then they can do it themselves. We raise our kids so that eventually they won't need us, even though that's hard to envision. And we need to also, I think, teach them in sports and in any performance, whether it's a theater kid, whether it's a, my, I have a son who sings and gets nervous, of course, before he sings any kind of performance, what does success look like? What are the bullet points under that? Anything else is icing on the cake and anything beneath is a learning opportunity. And if you don't get, if you get the icing on the cake, cool. But if you don't, fine. Did we meet our bullets? And if we didn't, if we don't get the lesson, That's where I would say to my kids, it is truly the only pure failure. If you don't get the lesson from the experience, if you don't learn. I love that. And I also love how you're talking about going back and playing soccer. And (laughs) I don't know why I admitted that. (laughs) No, but I think that's awesome because I think that there's a lot of people who are listeners here who hesitate to go back and do things and because I'm older. I'm not as competitive as I was. I don't want people laughing at me or 
oh, look at her. She used to be the champion. And oh my gosh, I kicked her butt today. I'm so yeah. great. I mean, you I know. know. I mean, I was fast once. Yeah, that's right. I was fast. And I, that was one of my gifts when I was younger. I, but here's, it was also one of those gifts that, and this happens with my kids too. They do not own when their strengths sometimes. So it'll be, and I find this a lot. I hesitate to say it's not just with female athletes. It, I have a son who's very much like this. He's 15. He's a cerebral player. I have a different kid who's 10 boy. He's a gut player. He plays from the gut. I call him a sea ball, get ball player. He needs to learn to think about his game more. But my 15 year old thinks far too much about his game to the point where you're like, you need to turn that off and go play. That's a really, what a terrible instruction that is from his mother who knows mindset. You can't just turn it off. It's about training, right? But yeah, like going back and playing, I had back surgery a year ago. So I remark at this time last year, I wasn't able to walk to my own mailbox outside. His nerve, I've I have a huge respect for nerve pain now. I do understand now when people say that, and it was awful. And I have no desire to go hurt my back, but I do have the desire to go out with a different goal. I'm not going out there at this point to prove myself to anybody, maybe a little to myself. It would be cool if I made me, maybe I just want to make a couple of good passes. Maybe I just want to, and that's different than my competitive athletes. They've got higher expectations, which I do understand. I was there once, but that definition of success is going to make that either a good night for me. <laughs> and sometimes we have to play at 11 o'clock. That's terrible. I hate playing that late. Or it's going to make it a good, a good outcome for me or a bad outcome for me. And, and nobody gets to define that. My, my buddy, Sean, might go out there and she might have a completely different expectation of herself. We want to all go win. And my other one, my other friend just might want to like not have to have as many subs because we're older now. We, we have, we've had kids. A lot of us have had kids and we've we're not the same players we used to be externally. We are internally, but externally we're not. And I take that lesson back to my kids. We've talked about that sometimes. They laugh and, and they like to laugh at my age and they like to laugh that it's hard for them to picture. Most of the time, by the way, I'm doing you know my calls and ponytails and no makeup on for, for a recording, but they, they have a hard time sometimes believing that their parents and their coaches, we were all there once too. And that resetting expectations is just as important for them, whatever level they want that to be. And the striving per for perfection is a great, that's a different one we can talk about if you want to, that kind of perfectionistic thing. They're all very much like that as well as so am I, but getting to the um, points of saying that player only gets to say to themselves what success is. And what it isn't. What is the starting point? Is it a perfectionism thing? I'm thinking about the player that does really great in practice. And then you get to the game, you get to that point where you have to perform. It's all on the line. And they just, it's like they forgot all of their skills. What is that starting point? Like, what do they, where do they start to I don't know. Is it just they're in their head too much or how do they turn that off? Yeah. What I find with the players I work with and to be honest with you, me. So a lot of people will say, what's your player profile when you work up? They're a lot like I was. So I am here to help. I hope there's nothing like experience. Experience is the best teacher. I will never be able to explain to that. Like you said, somebody gets up to the plate. I will never, ever be able to help a girl better, help a player better than that moment. That is a teachable moment in and of itself. And it's far better teacher than me. However, perhaps like we talked about with mindset as being a skill, which I believe it is, it's as big of a skill as the way we swing that bat, but the way we do that turn, the way we kick that ball, whatever that, the way we hit the ball in tennis, the way we serve it in volleyball, it's as important, if not more so. I mean, I think it wasn't Yogi Berra. Was it one of that the greats in baseball had something about saying that he would argue, it may mean it wasn't him, that 100% of the game is mental. 100% of the game, which I don't know, you can really mince the statistics, right? But so much more of the game is mental when it comes down to it, because just like you said, she's already done her swings. She already has her elbow where she needs to be. She's loading on the right foot at bat. She's in the plate. She's where she needs to be either scooched up or scooched back. She's either squeezing on the plate or she's not. She's doing all those things. Those coaches have done a great job in helping her learn. She's doing it. And where we fail time and time again tends to be on mindset. And so I would argue, so you said something there I thought was important is do they forget the skills? I actually think 
the better times. My father always liked to point out that my best moments as an athlete is when I forgot to think about it. When I fell into flow, you fall into game flow either individually, and sometimes you can see it with uh, teams too. There is an actual um, study out there about the, oh, I can't remember which teams they use, but I've seen it in softball and baseball. We talk about rallies, right? So team's not hitting, team's not hitting. And then somebody starts to hit. The players like to take their hats and turn them on backwards, turn backwards and call them rally caps, right? They're all up at the fence and they're all doing their cheers and they're getting their rally caps on. It's, it's a phenomenon that the team minds sink. They did a study on it and I don't have it up here to quote, but I can definitely provide that for you afterwards if people are interested. They did a study, right? They put all the little sensors on people's brains and they did a study of when people had to sync up their they're um, working together, trying to simulate a team-like experience and found that certain brain waves matched. And I don't know what they were, beta, delta, whatever, all those brain waves that there is a psychology to team flow and there's definitely a psychology to individual flow. And so if I go back to my dad now, who was my softball coach at one point in time, knows the game of softball. And I was so mad that this was the thing that he pulled out. But I was like, what was your like most proud moment of me as an athlete? And I can tell you the whole story about this team that beat everybody. And I was just sick and tired of that. And I was done with this picture striking everybody out. I was just, I fell out of thinking mode because I was angry, (laughs) which I'm not saying is the best way to always do it. But an emotion took over in a good way where it shut my thinking off. All I wanted to do was put my bat on the ball and get on first base. That's all I wanted to do. And I somehow managed to do that. I managed to drive the ball pretty far. Well, I'm fast. So I was, ah, here I am. I'm, we weren't going to, by the way, none of this was useful because we were going to lose this game. I was the last batter up, last out. Even if somebody, they were killing us. <laughs> this was a fantastic team. And I still remember we, where we were at Arnold City Park. And we were, I remember which field to this day that we were on. And I'm running around first. Okay. I'm, going to second at this point, I know it's in the outfield. I don't even care. I'm coming to third and I see the third base coach. Who's a friend of my dad's, you know, giving me the signal, right? The, the run signal. Okay. I'm going, I go into home. I'm pretty sure I slid head first, which I didn't normally do. I don't know. It's just an act of desperation. And I got called out. That was it. And I don't know. I was 12 maybe ish. I'm guessing maybe I was a little older. And in that, I can still feel, I can smell the dirt. I can feel it. I can, and and all I felt was uh, complete disappointment and anger and frustration. All the negatives, I didn't feel like, oh, what a great teachable moment I'll have someday to talk to. That was not what I did. And in that moment, I was mad at everybody. I was mad at that umpire because I was surely safe. I was mad at that catcher who blocked that plate. I was mad at that pitcher who I was sure was grinning at me. I'm sure that wasn't even happening. I was mad at the third base coach for sending me because why did he send me if he knew I was going to be out? And I asked my dad later as we finally got to the car and I started to cry. And he said, what's wrong? That was fantastic. And I'm like, how could you think that? And he's like, because you forgot that you could fail. You forgot to think. And he's like, why did, you know, so our third base coach said, he send me. And he said, he told me, I didn't think I could stop her. I just went ahead and gave her the go because I didn't think I could hold her up. She was determined. And now that I'm almost 48, what a beautiful moment. And what, if we don't get more from youth sports, we are doing it wrong. But it's those moments. And I'm not saying they don't hurt. I still hurt thinking about it. I still wonder, are you sure I was out? Like, I, what a moment it would have been. It was far more a teachable moment and far more an impactful moment of how I forgot. And if we can replicate that more, especially for our thinker players, we're never going to get them not to think. You'll never get me not to think. I, my desk right now is littered with papers reading before this podcast, so I could be ready. And I, but I will say that those moments right there, forgetting and then falling into flow, if we can somehow trigger them find themselves, whether it's a keyword, whether it's a pattern interrupt, it doesn't matter. If we can find that, the rest of their training will do what it needs to do.
Wow, that was really great. And it sounds like a good segue into something else that you teach. You have a framework that you use when you tell your players to take a good look at what is hard so you can know it, name it, own it, and change it. Tell us how that works. In in the definition, so when I go back to the very definition of defining, right? So when you get mince words, which I love to do, if we mince words, the very definition of defining is to give something meaning, right? It's to say what it is. There was that movie out that there was talked about the beginning of the dictionaries, right? And the Oxfords and the Merriam-Webster and all those dictionaries. There's a movie with, I can't remember, oh, two really, but it was a great movie. One, they were trying to literally make sure there were recorded, written definitions of every word out there. What a task. And why? Because I think it was when I was watching that movie, I started to think of this kind of quote that I use now with the kids. It's to know something is, you can't know it until you give it meaning. So we got it. So what does my players struggle with, of course, is what's hard. We don't struggle with what's easy. What's easy is typically what we go to. It's outside. You get all those great quotes outside the comfort zone. You don't get success unless you reach your edge. Runners need to push to a runner's high and you push, we push. We also have to understand like what it is that's hard for, for my player that wouldn't kick with her left foot. It really had nothing to do with the fact that she disliked her left foot. She disliked the fact that it wasn't as good as her right foot. But in the end, really down the line, it was disappointment. It was failure. It was those things. So we had to break some of that down. And I just did it with, you know, what we call negative reinforcement. So it's a reinforcement of getting the behavior I want by giving her something she doesn't want. And that is being pulled off the field, not in a negative or mean, it's not punishment. It's just, everybody knew we run around the ball to kick it with our, our, if it's on the foot, whatever it is, coach Jen accepts failure. In fact, we will celebrate it, but there will be a consequence if you don't, and that is to pull off so you can reset. They learned really quickly. I don't want to come off field equals. I do what I'm supposed to do. I do this thing, even if it sucks. <laughs> and my play, the rest of their players, what with the greatest part of the Zen as a coach is when all the players coach for you. You don't have to coach for them because all the other players are like, great weak foot shot, right? Like I don't have to say anything. So in your point of the know it, name it, own it, change it. When we know what it is, you have to know what it is that we're getting to. What is it? I don't, I want to make this team. I don't want to not make this team. I want to win. Is it really, is it, is it really your team winning or is it your personal performance? Let's get psycho, psychological and let's, let's get really picky and dig down to what that problem is. And then we name it. So what is it? They got to know what that is. Is it that I feel like a failure? There's always more behind that too. Do I feel like I'm not as good? Do I feel like I let my mom or dad down? There's some of that. Do they, what is that? What is it? And so we know it, we name it. And so we get to own it. And so every player has a part in it. We have a part in that. And sometimes we don't get to own as much as we think. Sometimes we can do everything right. And we still lose. You still quote on paper, you lose. And that's okay. And we own it. And then now we change it. So if I've got a player who, let's say, I'm trying to think of one in particular who is struggling with feeling like she can't do a particular move on the field in the moment. She's like, I can do this, but then I've got in a game, like everybody's coming at me. And so we talked about, we finally whittled down to the fact that in that moment, it's overwhelm. So we talked about what is overwhelm. We, I showed her a diagram of what's happening to her body. We hear a lot about the nervous systems, right? Your sympathetic and your parasympathetic. So here's what your body's doing. And by the way, it's doing good things. And you also get to use things like your breath. You get to use things like visualization. And these are all just techniques. But I find that these thinker players, very much what I was, do so much better when they understand the why. So when we know it, we get to say what it is. We get to own our piece of it. Sometimes it's everything. Sometimes it's just a part. And then we can choose to, to make it a pattern interrupt. We can choose whatever. Maybe it's the way you get up in your day. With one of my players, it was, I put off getting ready for my practice or game because I'm nervous. So she puts it off and, and then she's struggling at the end and then they're running late and then she's not in a good frame of mind. So the simple, it sounds so simple, but if she didn't see it at first and neither did I, that 
okay, we're going to get, you're going to get ready an hour before you have to leave an hour. Yeah. An hour. I want you dressed water ready with the right amount of ice you like, whatever it is, your thing, your snack. Do you like to listen to something on the way to your game? Here's a couple of ideas. Pump me up music. What do you need? I told one of my players, what do you need on your ride from your mom and dad? Do you not want to talk? Sometimes they're in, in the, where the parents are breaking down the game too much, or they're like, I just want to listen to pump me up music. Great. You need to say that because as a parent, I need to know what you need. I'm also a parent. I'm not just a coach. And I was a player. And so I get it. Sometimes parents don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We just don't know if our kid's not caring. We see our kid in discomfort. That's terrible feeling. We over talk it. And they're like, no, I just, mom, I'm going to put on my headphones and I'm going to, great, awesome. I will just be your ride then. And I'll be here to tell you you're awesome. So I just think that's a lot of it is just breaking down and finding those moments that we can change. I love all of these concrete examples that you're giving because I feel like as a parent, I mean, nobody ever taught me these things. Like it never mm-hmm. occurred to me that like, how do you prepare your kid for the game in the hours leading up to like when my girls were little and they were playing soccer 30 minutes before it's time to leave, we're running through the laundry room, throwing things out of the basket. Yeah. Where, and that's real. Yeah. The soccer uniform. Oh my gosh, we can't get the soccer socks over. It. <laughs> you know, and it's like this panic because we can't find our stuff. And where did we leave it last? You know, which is completely not the way to go into a game with the proper mindset. Yeah, it, and you might, but it, but you're that it underscores the point again that we don't live in a vacuum. So I used to my oh, it was my 15 year old kids like mom, I've got my plan for the day, and I'm like. Oh, and listen, by the way, it's a Saturday. You need to finish your laundry and he's got life to live, right? So he, these are not professional athletes. Maybe they'll be someday. And that's super cool. And I have no skin in the game there. Like that's not my job. My job's not to make them a professional athlete. My job is to help them find the best versions of themselves off the field, on the field, in school, in practice, in the game. And that's the beauty of it. And that's also, by the way, it's hit me really home that I have done sometimes a poor job of doing that as a parent. I know what it means to be a competitive player and what I needed was different than maybe what my brother needed or my sister needed. My kids are different. I know as a coach, what I need those kids coming in to do. If we want to win that tournament, I need them not coming up 10 minutes. But I also know that life happens. So now as a parent, I've got four and my husband's traveling this week. So we're like, you know, I'm, I warned the coaches, we're going to, we might be coming in hot. Like I'm going to, and the kids know, like we have to have a plan for the nighttime because it's me and I'm running four of you people. <laughs> None of you can drive yet. It'll be a great moment when they do. At this moment, you are going to have to own a lot of this. Mommy can't, you know, her. she can, she knows where her cleats are. She knows where her shin guards are. And if she doesn't, it's not because I put them somewhere else. Pushing some of that ownership back onto them. Now, my five-year-old may forget that she needs to eat. She's five. But my 15-year-old and my 13-year-old definitely know. And my 10-year-old should know. We actually just had this conversation last night. He he knew. I told him when they come home from school, this is how the night's going to go. Here are our general markers. This is when we're walking out the door. Be sure you're ready. He was having a good time on the trampoline. It's fine. He had all this work done. He didn't eat. The boy didn't eat. He was having a great time. Kids forget. And he comes in. We are leaving and he's starting to make food. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? And he's like, I didn't eat. I said, "Mm, didn't seem like you were that hungry on the trampoline. And he's like, what? Mom. And I said, no, you can eat. I'm not going to tell you you can't eat, but you're going to have to get food on the go. It's not going to be what you're thinking. You're going to make this massive sandwich. That's not going to happen right now. You're going to have, I don't like any of those snacks. Mm -mm, Not my issue. All we need to do, you need to get food in your to get, and you're going to have to, so he grabbed a couple of oranges, I don't know, grabbed a yogurt and some kind of bar, some kind of protein bar. I don't know. And he's like, this isn't what I want. And I said, I hope you learn for next time because you have to learn. The, the key is I can send my kid in, right, as a parent and feel good about myself that he didn't get to eat what he wanted, but he's not going in starving. I'm not going to let that happen. But we have to let them own some of that. And we have to hold their feet to the fire because someday, because when it gets to that practice, that coach will want to know, why didn't you have an injury? You didn't eat? What do you mean you didn't eat? And I'm not going to take the blame. <laughs> I'm busy. I think that that's a really, I think I strayed a little bit there from your question because my that example came up in my head. So I want to be sure I answered your question. 
all completely. No, I think that was good. And okay. I love this idea that you have or what you said about using sports to, or as the coach or as the parent, shape to shape them to be the best possible, I think you said best possible human they can be or whatever. I think that is great. And I think it's also hard when we live in a society where we have so much pressure to win, win, you're going to have, if you're, if the coach makes one of those decisions that ends up turning the game, you're going to have a bunch of angry parents. And so it's like one of those things where you can't win. You can't right. win for doing what's and best. that's so that that is like you you got a whole new podcast on your hand because that <laughs> that that is really truly that is a super large conversation in and of itself. If you look at, I've had the fortune of speaking with some local. I you know live in St. Louis, Missouri, and so I've you know we've got some great teams around here, softball teams, soccer teams with great coaching. People played at high levels. We've got professional teams, so I've had access to those people. And you will, I will tell you over and over again that the, and they will say over and over again that the things that they talk about and what they have trouble with players isn't. Yeah, you can fix a swing. Yeah, people have slumps and those stink, right? That's, we can argue about mindset there. But when it comes to even those players moving on to high school and college ball and whether or not the shaping is in the youth and what's the most important isn't that they have a better shot than anybody else. Isn't that they have a better swing. Those are super cool. I love seeing a great, beautiful swing like anybody. I love seeing that natural athlete that goes out and runs and you're just like, oh my God, that's a beautiful thing. You just see the body, the human body at work doing something it was born to be. But what they'll tell you in like colleges, there's a college basketball coach, NCAA. Oh, can't remember again. Don't have all the things, but he's got a lot of video clips out there and he'll talk in those conferences after the game and he'll talk about it's behavior with the kids. It's, I didn't bench that player because I'm getting her prepared for the next game. I'm benching her because she was acting like a 12 year old. You know, she's in college now and she's going to act like that. She's going to sit on the bench. If when I do game tape, I know what already they can do. Their stats pretty much tell me a lot. What I'm looking at is how are they acting on the, are they engaged or how are they treating their teammates? How are they treating the officials? By the way, I've been guilty of all these things too. How are they treating their coaches? Are they taking response? You know, you can see that stuff in tape as well. And as well as when I look at when coaches come on recruiting, which a lot of player uh, parents are concerned about, I've got a 15 year old who's starting to think about right college and, and it's like, they're not just coming those scouts anymore. They don't just come to watch the way you kick buddy. They don't come to watch your shot necessarily or how great of a passer, because by the way, everybody they're looking at is good at all those things. They're going to look at what differentiates you. And nine times out of 10, it's mindset, it's attitude, it's behavior, it's how we treat other people. I can get a lot of, if I'm a college coach, I can get a lot of fast soccer players. Okay. I can get a lot of people who are skilled, but if I've got somebody out there who's a prima donna and doesn't, isn't a good teammate or isn't those things that I need to build a functioning good team, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. And I'll also say this too, which will, which will, as a parent who's done it wrong, as a coach who's experienced a parent doing it wrong, that a lot of times too, it can go back to parental decisions. I've done some really great things, I think, as a parent, and I've failed miserably as a parent. And I've tried to adjust those things where I'm either too involved or I think the coach needs to hear me. They don't. I'm not about the game. They don't because I'm not the coach. I am responsible for a certain portion. My coaches, their coach is responsible for a certain portion and the kids are responsible. Those players are responsible for a certain portion. And if we could just be pulling together in that tug of war, how much better that game would be. I think this has been a fantastic discussion. So much insight. So I want to thank you so much for being here. Tell us, if people want to work with you, how can they find you? What, what do you offer? What's the process of working from you from afar? Right. That's great. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I do. That's perfect. I right right now I work with people. I've got local people, right? So I was a coach at one point in time. So that's a, a great place to start. And I do have a few people that are out of state. They're not in Missouri. I hope eventually to be able to work 
from anywhere, right? The, the video thing lets us do some of that. So where people can reach me is I have a website that's in construction. A lot's going, uh, we're, a lot will be coming and it might just be a contact page at this point still, but it's www.mind to define. So mine, like mine, my five-year-old says that a lot, mine, mind to define.com. I am also, um, it took me till I was 40 to get even on Facebook. So <laughs> I'm learning a lot about social, but I am on Facebook. Mind to Define has its own page. And I have, if this helps, that at sign at Coach Jen MTD, Mind to Define, is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I'm not as active as I probably should be. I'm learning a lot by being able to connect with like minded coaches like myself, which, by the way, seem the great answer to all, I think the great thing that comes out of this is I haven't once got pushback. I haven't once got anyone, not a parent. The most skepticism I probably ever get is from a player mm. thinking, do I really need this? Yes. Yes, we all do. We all do. And no, nothing's wrong with you, by the way. I did have a player ask me that once. Is something wrong with me? No, it's all right, babe. It's all right. I love her dearly. It's the way you process. You might think about how a player looks at you because you're super fast and they want to be just as fast as you. Their battle, their challenges are different than yours. This is right. Mindset is a skill. We just can't see it very well. It comes out, what do you call that in, in pain management, right? Referred pain. I think a lot of times referred pain in the mind, those things that we don't address, they come out as shaky hands. They come out as my head is down as I'm walking up to the plate because I don't think I can do this. And that's, that's heart-wrenching as a parent and a coach to see that it's referred pain. And if we can deal with it where it starts and we can talk, imagine what a great grown-up these people are going to be if they can talk positively and affect themselves positively inside themselves. They're going to do that with everybody around them. That is awesome. And I think an awesome place to end this. I just love the idea of using sports to become a better human and to take those skills into your life so that you can be successful in all aspects. So thank you so much for being thank on the show. Thank you. Today. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.